What goes on inside the mind of the Singapore consumer? The Kiasunomics podcast series unravels the way Singaporeans behave across different domains like spending, transport, environment, superstition, schooling, and housing markets. Backed by multiple research studies, NUS Business School professors examine the quirks, psychology, and mechanics behind the daily economic decisions of Singaporeans. Welcome back to another episode of Kiasunomic Podcast. Clearly, the pandemic has exasperated inequality around the world. I mean, just to give you a sense, in Asia, every week we are creating three new billionaires. Two of them in China and one in the rest of Asia. Over 97% of the wealth is concentrated among the top 5% of the population. People at the bottom end in many countries feel hopeless. If you go to Mumbai, the richest man lives in a 27-story apartment building and only five people live in that building. And next to that, there are people living on the streets, don't even have food to eat. So the topic of inequality or income or wealth or educational inequality has been growing in importance in the last 10 years. There is a lot of research being done and conducted to understand where this comes from, what are the solutions, and what is the path forward. I mean, could regulation help? Do people need to solve it on their own? Will the market forces change this thing? Or you can take a very right-wing view that that's how it is. I mean, we cannot be living in a society where we bring everybody's education level to the same or the wealth level or income level. People who are endowed more with higher education or they work hard to earn more or educate themselves more, they should earn more and they should also have higher wealth levels. So today we have Professor Fani, who is a professor of real estate in the School of Business at NUS, who has devoted her entire career to looking at inequality to talk to her about some of her current research in the context of Singapore, where she has looked at what is happening to intergenerational housing wealth mobility. Welcome, Fanny. Thank you so much, Professor Akowal. Okay, so let's start with asking you, what interests you broadly in intergenerational wealth mobility? And then let's get into a little bit of how you started out with this research agenda. Okay, so generally, um, we actually first start with intergenerational mobility in income and education, but then we think that it's more broad in the sense of intergenerational mobility in wealth, taking the real estate, take everything into concern, and also we go one step further to look into the intergenerational mobility in consumption, which is arguably more linked with uh, uh, material well-being. So this is how we pro promote along this line. So talk to us about what this current research you have done on housing wealth, intergenerational mobility. Tell us about this current research that you are doing, what motivated you to get into it, and tell us what data you used for it. 
Okay, so in this research, we look at how the consumption of wealth in housing in parents' generation can be linked with the child's generation. And specifically, we look in the Singapore's context to see that how the social engineering programs can be linked with such kind of correlation, and um, we can use that one to explain for this kind of patterns. So let me understand this. So what you're saying is clearly there will be wealth mobility among the population intergenerational wealth mobility, but then you're overlaying that with this argument of providing a subsidized HDB, which is the uh, what you call a social engineering policy, and you're saying, does that have any implication on housing wealth mobility? Yes, we want to see this kind of result, the reasons like behind this kind of mobility, can we link with the public housing, public education, and the taxation programs to explain for the pattern? So let's first start with the data itself. What kind of data would you need to use for this kind of research? So to do this kind of research, we actually have a high level requirement for the data. We need to know where the parents live, where the children live, and what's the housing transaction price for the parents and for the children. And luckily, we have this kind of data, so it spans a long time period, and later we focus on 150,000 of non-co-residing parents and children pairs. Okay, so, so just so that we understand, you are going to look at children who are growing up with parents. At some point, those children left the house of the parents and moved on to their own house, and you will then figure out that if the parents were living in an HDB, did the children move to a private condo? Or if the parents were living in a private condo, did the children live in a private condo, or vice versa, or they moved back to a HDB? And that's how you will determine mobility of between intergenerationally, are the children moving up? Are children moving back down to HDBs, essentially moving down to lower wealth levels, and so on and so forth. Am I right? Yes, yeah, so we can pick up by the housing transaction price. Okay, so tell us what do you find just in the baseline in terms of the distribution. Let's take the, somebody who is living in the single bedroom HDB apartment, what is happening to their children versus somebody who's living in a landed house, what is happening to their children, or, and somebody in between. Okay, so these are the two extremes of the wealth distribution. So in general, what we find that for those children living in the one single bed HDB, they show this kind of high mobility level. For instance, when they were young, they lived with their parents in this kind of uh, small HDB house, but in future, they are more likely to climb up the socioeconomic ladders and live in better HDB or even private homes. And for those people who live in the landed home, born to the parents who live in the landed homes, they actually have high persistency with their parents. Where their parents stay, it's more likely they will stay at the same rank with their parents. So let me understand, the rich or the super rich they don't come down, they, 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 if the parents were living in a landed house, they also buy another landed house and they continue to live in that lifestyle. But the very poor, on the very bottom end of the distribution, they move up. What about the middle of the distribution? What is happening to the average middle class person? Okay, then this story is a little bit, we need to think more about the reasons. For those sandwiched middle class, actually compared to their parents, they, are, they have this kind of downward mobility. Downward mobility. So you mean the parents were living in private condos and now they are living in HDB. Or say living less expensive private 
for housework. Okay. Tell us, this is an intriguing result. Yeah, so we think about why, what's the mechanism for that one? And uh, Singapore's social engineering program provides a fantastic uh, policy arena to do this one. For instance, for those, let's start with those one who are at the very bottom. What's the reason for them is that, for instance, their parents live in the HDB because we have this kind of super affordable HDB homes and the government have the generals um, of the subsidy to them. So their parents are more likely have this kind of more investment in their children's human capital. They invest in their children and their children are more able to climb up the socioeconomic ladders. Then they can live in better HDB or even the private ones. But think about the, the sandwiched class, as um, Professor Agawa just mentioned, what's happening to them. Like one reason is that, okay, maybe because their parents have the budget constraint. They live in the private homes, so they do not have sufficient money to invest sufficient more to their children in their uh, human capital, and therefore they can only live, the drop down the socioeconomic ladders. But the other kind of explanation is that it's just because they are more rational they're pragmatic. They're just uh, think about in the real life. In the way is that okay? I have this kind of HDB with high quality. Why I still choose to live in the private home? I can just go down a little bit. To so, so the tension you are saying is that on the one side, if the parents moved up to the private condo, their resources have depleted in buying the private condo, so they can't educate their children a lot, and as a result, the children will come down. In their, in their ability to buy a housing. The, on the other side, you are saying, it's not the parents' wealth is depleting, it's the government policy of subsidized HDB allows the children to rationally think, why am I not buying the subsidized HDB and being pragmatic about it, and hence they buy the uh, HDB. So which of these two explanations is more likely causing the sandwich class to buy the HDB if their parents are in private condo? Okay, so to answer this question, actually we need to look at the children because for HDB they have this kind of income ceilings. So we can divide it into two groups. For those people who have the income ceilings, for the children they are more likely to be driven by the second reason, but for those who are, do not have such kind of income ceilings, then we do not have, a, currently we do not have a real, have this kind of a horse racing between these two, so we consider both of them. I see. So you're saying the data will suggest that there is some aspect of both of these can be driving uh, parents, the behavior of the children to buy this thing. What do you think are the implications of this? I mean, do you think now we should then have this kind of policy intervention where the government steps in and provides housing in other countries, let's say France or U US or UK, where we know there is huge intergenerational mobility in the wrong direction. Should we then have such policies to help in those countries or what's your view? Okay, so actually the first time we have the draft, then we promote to the public. It has a lot of response from the policymakers, from the public. And one of the source or response from them is that, hey, for current we have the income roof for the HDB, actually we should increase the income roof. So this is one kind of policy implication for, for Singapore society is that we try to help the uh, sandwiched middle class. They are not that kind of squeeze in the middle. Mm. They can have more choice either to go to the good quality HDB or just go with a private one. Okay. So this is a good suggestion. But uh, worldwide, do you have any thoughts on how we can 
use the Singapore policy for other countries, or you think there's limited implications for other countries? There is great implication from Singapore because in Singapore, in the U.S., like they have the、um, move to opportunity, so they just look at the very. Bottom end of the distribution, say that move those kind of children to the good neighborhood. What will happen for their future? And here in Singapore, we have such kind of large coverage of the HDB.、Mm. So this is one of the implication to other countries like China, like others. They do not have such kind of huge coverage of the public housing. And、so、think about Hong Kong, more comparable economy with Singapore. Like if the government can promote such kind of public housing, they will benefit more general of the population, not only in this generation, importantly in the next generation. Thank you very much, Professor Thafani, for this great discussion and、uh, kind of highlighting to us the role of intergenerational mobility and how you intertwine that with the role of policy in Singapore and how that is essentially affecting people to come back to the HDB and maybe potentially. When they come back to HDBs, that helps in the marriage markets and other markets as well. So there could be other implications which we didn't get time to discuss. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned as we bring you more interesting research-based insights on a wide range of topics in business and economics. Subscribe to our channel now.